Josh, you know what's cool about creator commerce these days? There are just so many ways for creators to make profits. Take, for example, digital products. Definitely. You can bring any idea to life with digital content and they're accessible to all fans globally. Creators are all over them this year. In fact, there's over 60,000 creators selling digital products on the Spring platform. Everyone here listening definitely needs to get in on it too. The beauty of this type of product is there is no shipping involved. It's so simple. Fans purchase the product, hit download in their inbox, and they get it instantly. Yep, it's genius. Creators can literally make profits right up to Christmas Day. Forget rush shipping or delivery cutoff dates. And it's great to see the variety of content that creators are bringing to the table too. We've seen cheese making courses, Christmas tree shaped shelving guides, organic ferret feeding eBooks, your fave Lauren, cable knit hat sweaters, festive e-cards, there's a lot. Creators really do have the freedom to create and sell anything. Spring has put together a blog full of inspiration and free templates to get started. No design wizards required. Visit spring slash blog to learn more and sign up. That's spri.ng slash blog. This week on Creator Upload. TikTok wants to protect you from its own algorithm. It's act one of Meta's new verse. Minecraft gets a 10-figure view count and Twitch's co-founder gets red-pilled in Web3. Welcome to Creator Upload, your creator economy podcast. I am Lauren Schnipper. And I'm Joshua Cohen. Lauren, I'm going to send you a photo and I want you to tell me what you see. Yes, we're playing this game again. It's going to go well. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. I see the swoosh, I see the Jordan, and I forget there's there's a star and I forget what that logo is lightning bolt. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> so we're looking at the Nike swoosh. Mommy had a few drinks last night. Go on. The Nike Air Jordan logo, the Converse logo, which is now owned by Nike. And this last one, this weird lightning bolt is RTFKT. Do you know what that is, Lauren? No, should I? The metaverse brand that Nike just acquired for an undisclosed sum that's been live since 2020 only and been producing sneakers for the metaverse and also for the meat space real world too. Nike just scooped them up for, again, an undisclosed sum, huge waves in the crypto web three so space. So what, what do they do and how would this be beneficial to Nike? Are we like running in the metaverse now? Like, well, shouldn't I be actually running? What's going on? I think Nike wants to be where culture is. And then this is where a lot of the culture is heading and where new, cool, kind of innovative fashion ideas are going. Yeah, sure. And if you look at it from the point of view of this whole sneakerhead world Mm -hmm. and this crypto web three world, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think those are basically going to be concentric circles in the same Venn diagram. There's probably lots of overlap right now with all the hype, with all the art. Joshua loves a Venn diagram. Go on. Love concentric circles in the same Venn diagram. But... There's a a lot of hype about them. There's a lot of speculation about them. Lots Mm -hmm. of people don't like some of the economics around them. Some people Mm. do, but Mm. there's lots of similarities there. And I can see why Nike would want to dip its, not just dip its toe in, but dive in the pool in a major way with an established brand that's been able to work with big time players too. RTFKT, which if you say that loud, is pronounced artifact, which I did not know until recently. Okay. But they just launched this NFT project with Murakami that sold out for like $60 million within a 24-hour time period. They've done collabs with Fawocious and other types of big name artists in the NFT world. I'm excited to see what Nike does with this, but Nike doesn't make a lot of acquisitions. And they were front and center with their announcement for this. The image you saw was from a Nike press release where it shows now all of their four major brands together side by side. 
first of all, I can't believe I didn't recognize the Converse brand. That just seemed, that's just like, that. that's weird. But also I was just looking, I'm like, what other brands does Nike own? Like, is this it? They actually also own Cole Haan, which is, you know, the, the luxury, more luxury kind of shoes. Uh, Converse, they own Nike Golf, of course. Uh, Hurley, and they own Umbro. Like, I, it's, it's curious. It's like they chose these four together. Obviously, these are the most, I guess, important. They feel like they make most sense. I mean, nobody's going to argue with Air Jordan, but that's just interesting. And uh, very interested to see what they do with this. Yeah, it's exciting times in the metaverse, Lauren. Exciting times. You know what else was exciting? Josh, the streamies were last week. Tell everybody how it went. Just I've been tell the sleeping kids. since then. I think it went well. You look great. Thank you. I was incredibly excited that we had an opportunity and a moment in time to really honor all the creativity and inspirational work that lots of individuals and creators and people behind the scenes too do mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. My biggest metric every year for this is kind of like creator sentiment towards it. And mm-hmm. I think that we're still able to provide them an award show that's entertaining and has a lot of value that they get excited about and is meaningful. And and that just means the world to me. And I'm really excited for how it turned out. Who were the big uh, surprises? Any surprise winners or anything like that? Like what was the, what was the shockers? What was, were the big moments? I think Mr. Beast winning creator of the year, but maybe that's just de facto. I don't know yeah, what don't all know the stuff he's up to. Shocker. I don't know if that's a shocker. It's exciting. We had the voice of God was played by Dream, which mm-hmm. I was really excited about coordinating mm-hmm. that with him. Haven't seen the guy, but the pleasure to work with. Uh-huh. Love and it. Very excited he was involved. And then for Lorraine and Issa, I think did a bang up job, especially like all their interactions with the people that we were able to incorporate into the show, like with Tinks, I was really excited about Tinks Jarvis is a big Johnson. Deal. Yeah. Tinks is yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. She calls what, herself um... an elderly TikToker. It's like my friend, uh, Eliza Schlesinger, who's a comedian, and she has this whole thing. She's the elder millennial, which I think is hilarious. And people can still watch it on the YouTube, correct? Yes, please go to youtube.com slash streamies. Let me know what you think. Really excited about where we're taking this in the future, too. We've had a couple years of what the streamies looks like during a pandemic. Hopefully things will be different in next year and we'll be able to open it up a little bit at least and incorporate some live components to the show. I think one of our challenges for the future is how do we kind of merge a live traditional award show setting that's at a ballroom maybe where people are dressed up and there's a red carpet or some other type of live component married with creating content and showcasing that content that these YouTubers and other online video content creators are known for. They're obviously very good in their own environments, in front of their own cameras, being able to edit with their own kind of speed, cadence, and style. And showcasing that is super important to us. And then how do we bring that into the world of a live show Mm -hmm. where there's a lot of energy in the audience too? I think that's the big challenge for us. I'm excited to figure it out. I mean, I feel like, and this is not for nothing, I feel like the Streamies is better equipped to do that than probably any award show. I mean, you know, the way you guys have transitioned like wholly to digital, I mean, compare that to the like, you know, Hollywood award shows where they were just like, you know, one person going out on stage at a time and all that sort of stuff was just not as exciting. And they didn't really, they didn't really adapt and and change that much. It just got even a little bit. And I'm a big, frankly, I mean, I used to have Oscar party every year, so I'm not like an award show hater. Like I was always into it, but like, you know, didn't they, if anything, it just got, people might argue more boring as opposed to the boring that it used to be from talking about regular award shows. Big news today is that TikTok has not yet, but they are planning supposedly, allegedly, as they say, to adjust its algorithm to avoid, you know, negative content. 
This week, they said that they are testing ways to avoid pushing too much content from a certain topic, such as extreme dieting, sadness, or breakups to individual users to protect their mental well-being. By the way, um, TikTok recently uh, touted um, 1 billion of the B monthly users. This announcement is just about like the roadmap of what they're doing. It's not actually like the law. Like we don't actually know this is happening. I don't think it takes a genius to note that this is in reaction to like sort of the grilling that Masari got at uh, Congress whenever that was a week or so ago. The only thing I'll say about this, and I I know people might think like, oh, I'm sort of defending Facebook because I work there because, but I think that if you've listened to this podcast at all, like you would understand that that's not, I'm not in the business of that. I'm in the business of, you know, speaking the truth, Josh. And I will say that I do feel like TikTok is as much to blame for all of this sort of negative content going towards young people as sort of an Instagram is, if not more, but Instagram and Facebook get the brunt of the sort of backlash around it. I could be wrong, but I feel like this announcement from TikToks will largely be like lauded as like, oh, look at them getting ahead of it. Whereas Missouri did the exact same thing, basically, ahead of the congressional hearing and uh, was just given a ton of shit for it. So thoughts on this? Lauren, what's your rationale for TikTok being as liable for influencing the hearts and minds of our youths in the negative capacity as Instagram and Facebook? It's called look at the numbers, Josh. There's a lot of people on there. (laughs) Here's what I've been thinking, though. Just by the nature of what TikTok is, a Mm. series of quick, fast-paced, moving videos that Mm -hmm. last generally a minute or less. Mm -hmm. It's harder to get, establish, and maintain a connection with Mm -hmm. the people that you're watching because it's such short form content. If you think of the type of stuff that's on YouTube, it's longer form, it's lean in or sit back and people can be engaged with it. And I think it can have a more meaningful impact on their lives, psyche, thought process, emotions, et cetera. And that's evidenced by, you know, Kevin Ruse at the New York Times did a great series called The Making of a YouTube Radical back in 2019, where he basically reported on someone going down this red-pilled right-wing YouTube rabbit hole and how they got there and the kind of exact sequence of events and recommendations in the algorithm that led that person there to be way more radicalized than perhaps if they had ever watched YouTube before. YouTube's been trying to remedy that with tweaks to its algorithm and different types of content that it no longer showcases on the platform or recommends on the platform. But just by the very nature of what YouTube is and what TikTok is, I feel like YouTube has way more potential to have an ill-meaning effect on people if they find nefarious content. But what about Instagram? I think Instagram has just been around for so much longer. Maybe there's more data and it's easier to point at it and say, hey, this is having a negative impact on our teens just because we have just more data and a greater timeline in order to point to studies and statistics that represent that. And maybe there's something about having static images that are incredibly photoshopped that portray perhaps the best or worst or whatever parts you want of whatever subculture you're in that I'd argue could have a more damaging effect than kind of this more flippant, not professionally produced, quick takes on TikTok. I don't know. I don't know who I buy it. Actually, in September, the Wall Street Journal published this investigation that, um, this is to quote in the Wall Street Journal, that illustrated how TikTok's algorithm could push young users into a rabbit hole of content about sex and drugs when they browse the app's For You feed. It's highly personalized homepage serving up an endless stream of content when a user first opens up the app. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I wonder if it's as bad when it does. And regardless, though, 
TikTok has an easier time remedying this problem than basically all other social networks. I think just because of the nature of the time of the content on the app, they can just throw a bunch of other random stuff at you. And then you can get into these other parts of TikTok really easily without getting just funneled into this one section. I wonder what it's going to do for kind of community building on TikTok. Like right now you hear a bunch of people talk about like, oh, I'm on sewing TikTok mm -hmm. or I'm on gardening TikTok or whatever kind of TikTok. I mm -hmm. wonder if that kind of same community vibe and component is going to exist after that. If this has positive consequences, that's probably a fine kind of repercussion if it doesn't. But I think it's going to be easier for them to adjust their algorithm and test just because they're able to do it a lot more times in a shorter time frame than any other platform. Again, I just feel like they can't win unless they're just literally like, we're shutting down the app. Whereas TikTok does this and it's like, oh, thank you for caring about our children. And I just feel like it's like, they, I don't know. I just think it's like... Yeah, maybe it's because TikTok doesn't have a, what, 16, 17 year history of being blatantly negligent with people's personal data and the types of content that they're feeding to people. And that's taking a very proactive role in shielding users on their platforms from the bad content that can appear on their platform. So in short, I think Facebook, Instagram, whatever, they've earned this. They've earned this critique. We're going in circles here. I just feel like... They're not going away. We should regulate them and support the regulation and support when they regulate as opposed to discourage uh, and always say it's not enough because um, I feel like we need to be like, great, going in the right direction, do more. Yeah, I guess. Or you can be proactive like TikTok's doing now, whether it's a response to this congressional hearing with Missouri or but not. They were at least they're doing something. Whatever. We're not getting into this. It's fine. It's fine. Speaking of Meta, Meta has opened up the virtual reality platform to anyone in the U.S. Um, and you have to have a Quest 2 headset. Lauren, have you ever have you ever put on an Oculus headset or a VR I headset? have. I have. I don't enjoy. <laughs> me I neither. Really, They're like too really heavy. Yeah. They make me so dizzy. I've never felt more any, nauseous than yeah. after playing some shoot yeah. them up game with an Oculus headset on. Yeah, I'm excited for everyone who actually likes using these things. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll come down and wait and I cannot act like a geriatric and mm -hmm. just deal with it and have fun mm -hmm. in the metaverse. For mm -hmm. now, I'm sitting on the sidelines watching everyone else have fun in the metaverse. Do you know what was one of the most uh, surreal experiences was, I probably mentioned this before, but the day that I had Jerry Seinfeld on Facebook's campus uh, in, in Menlo Park and had to do this whole thing where he met Mark and everything. But before that, we let him try out an Oculus like headset and he's like in this room, like doing all the things and we're standing there like trying not to run into him as he's like moving all around the room. And that was crazy. And then Mark Zuckerberg afterwards being like, what'd you think of it? <laughs> <laughs> Swear to God. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh -huh. So they came out with a flashy kind of announcement video that, hey, Horizon Worlds is open and you can go play and mess around in it. I don't think there's probably much user uptick now, but they plan to have way more as they're reaching out to the community for more creation in this metaverse world. In October, they established a $10 million fund that'll pay individual creators and development studios to make co-op games for Horizon World's user base. And Meta's also partnered with companies like Gucci and Chipotle to create virtual events for users to attend and obviously shop. What am I doing in a virtual Chipotle world? I'm just like, I can't eat the tacos if they're virtual. I mean, it's not too dissimilar from different types of events and retail experiences that have happened in places like Minecraft or Fortnite. 
Fortnites had concerts in game with Travis Scott. I know, and but some I other can listen to music in a metaverse, but I can't eat a taco in a metaverse. Yeah, but your avatar can probably eat a taco. And then if your avatar eats the taco, it'll probably give you some utility in the real world in order to do something. Or maybe not. Maybe then just your avatar gets a cool Chipotle. Yes, I know guacamole is extra t-shirt. And then you get to rock around. <laughs> you get to rock that and walk around in the metaverse with other people who have, oh. yes, I know guacamole is extra t-shirts. <laughs> and then in the real world, maybe you'll get a cool like meat space version of that. Okay. That's where we're headed, Lauren. Get hip to okay. it. I'm hip. I'm, I've never been hipper. I'm very excited about this. I just also feel like on the other side of the coin of me, like not, you know, letting Facebook off the hook. I'm like the focus on the metaverse versus focusing on fixing all the shit that's wrong with them is. Uh, but he's got to. It's the future. OK, thank you, Mr. Metaverse. They want to own their own space and not be reliant on these other giant megalithic corporations like Amazon and Google mm -hmm. and Facebook wants to carve out its own world and own real estate. This is the only frontier. This is the only frontier. Okay, moving on. Um, there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on this week. I think this is really cool. YouTube is majorly celebrating Minecraft's, wait for it, trillionth, you heard me kids, not billionth, trillionth view. Um, which is really, really cool. Of course, Minecraft, if you don't know, lets players build virtually anything that their hearts desire um, within a, a metaverse, if you will. And YouTube is doing this huge campaign. My favorite moment is YouTube made this video uh, with the uh, new version of the Starship song. We built the city on rock and roll. It's now like we built the city on with like bricks and whatever. But I mean, I'm here for it. It's a great, great song. I feel like last I heard it a lot was in the... Um, I feel like it was in the movie Mannequin. Anyway, moving on. Great, great song. Um, but Ryan Wyatt, YouTube's global head of gaming, said that being in the gaming industry for my entire career, it's incredible to see how Minecraft has exploded since it first came to the scene. I remember working with C-Nanners at Machinima when he first tried Minecraft and shared it on YouTube. The appetite for Minecraft content then was impressive. And the fact that it just continues to grow every year over year is staggering. For one day, an animated Minecraft logo will replace the YouTube logo on the platform's channel. There will be curated playlists of Minecraft content. Just very cool stuff going on. Very exciting. What do you think about this, Josh? What do you think about it? Have you Minecraft? I have Minecrafted before. My son's really into it. But what I think is the most interesting part of Minecraft is how it spans generations. The game first came out in November 2011 and I think was initially marketed towards probably kids just because of its blocky, reductive animation styles and its general gameplay. But because it's this open sandbox world and you can do lots of cool things with it, lots of different tech-savvy individuals, programmers, engineers, et cetera, got into it too and started developing some really cool stuff. So from the start, I think it was more targeted towards kids, but also appealing for adults just because of the openness of it, where they could create kind of whatever they wanted. It's really incredible if you look at some of the stuff that people have done in Minecraft. They've created working computers, movie mm -hmm. theaters, replications of the Starship Enterprise to scale. I mean, it's fascinating the amount of time, energy, and effort people put into this stuff. And what's cool, and we're putting together a story on this at TubeFilter, is I think as Minecraft ages and evolves, the players just age up with it. I'd venture to guess that a lot of the people that started playing Minecraft when they were in their pre-adolescence or adolescence 10 years ago are still playing the game or at least casually interested in the game now. 
it's quickly adopting this new user set all the time because kids get old enough where they start watching YouTube. Honestly, they see some people, some of their favorite YouTubers playing Minecraft, and then they start to play Minecraft themselves. And then once you get into the Minecraft ecosystem, I don't think you ever age out. I mean, that's like the dream. That's like the dream scenario, right? And it's like, not to go back and beat a dead horse, but that's what all these platforms are going for when they're trying to appeal to kids and then adults and then kids and adults and the new and the old and everything like that. I mean, that's the dream scenario. You have a, you have a customer for life. That's it's in, pretty incredible. I mean, obviously the difference is I don't I think, you know, Minecraft has not had some really, uh, you know, done some egregious things to the world, which I think is helpful. <laughs> Nobody's like giving it, you know, a hard time, but I think it's, it's the dream. Totally. It's the McDonald's or Mickey Mouse of this video game, maybe even metaverse ecosystem. Yeah, no, I think this is really, really interesting and very cool. And I feel like this is the thing that like, if my kids get into video games, I'm not going to be mad if it's Minecraft. Yeah, 100%. Why would you? My kid gets so excited to show me the cool new stuff he's created on Minecraft. And honestly, it's engaging to watch too. Um, Okay, switching gears, Josh, I'm going to give you the floor to talk about. Twitch co-founder Justin Kahn has just launched a gaming NFT marketplace called Fractal. Justin Kahn said he was not going to go start a new business after he sold Twitch with a couple other co-founders for over near a billion dollars to Amazon. And lo and behold, he got the Web3 bug a la Jack Dorsey and lots of other people who have made big moves in Web2. And he's full all in on Fractals, which is an upcoming marketplace for selling durable in-game assets as NFTs. I think you can think of it as a subset of some of the NFT marketplaces that are out there today. The biggest of which is a company called OpenSea, which does billions of dollars in transaction volume a month, of which it takes 2.5%. And this is going to be a smaller niche subset of that that's focused entirely on gaming NFTs. It's kind of like if you have eBay, but then you have StockX. eBay's for everything under the sun. StockX is for sneakerheads. And I think we'll start to see more of this as the industry develops, evolves, and brings more consumers into this space. There's going to be a bunch more niche versions of big marketplaces that can be a centralized location where people can go to for specific use cases of their Web3 metaverse crypto life and world. Per Justin, our mission is to create an open platform for the free exchange of digital goods. Players will be able to discover, buy, and sell gaming NFTs on Fractal through both a primary market and a secondary market. Primary market is initial drops by gaming companies. So lots of these new gaming orgs that are producing titles for this Web3 crypto world are creating these initial mints or drops to give to interested individuals, a lot of the times to bootstrap the funding that they will use to actually go and produce the game. And the secondary market here is just players who already have stuff trading with one another. Mm -hmm. I think it's gonna be big. Justin's, I mean, reputation precedes him here. I think a lot of people in retail are gonna be like, oh, the Twitch guy, he's starting this thing? Dope, I'm in. That's okay, great, good, okay, we got it, we got it in. Okay, Josh, I think we did it. Lauren, I think that's it. I'll see you somewhere in the metaverse with your Nike slash RTFKT sneakers chowing down on some extra guac. Doing the gorilla thing. Isn't that a thing? What's the gorilla thing? What's the gorilla? What's the NFT pandas? What am I doing with the What are they? I guess we'll find you there (laughs) next week on Creator (laughs) Upload. 
Today's show was produced by Lawrence Snipper and me, Joshua Cohen. It's edited by Jason Kang, and original music is by London Bridge, who you can check out on Instagram at London Bridge Music. Make sure you subscribe to Creator Upload wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, give us a rating, leave us a comment. If you want to talk, hit us up at info at creatorupload.com. Lauren, you're checking that email, right? If you like the show, recommend it to a friend. If you love our show, recommend it to everybody. Thanks for listening to Creator Upload, and we will be back next week.